Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast, hosted by Renita Ray Davis, licensed clinical social worker, board-approved social work clinical supervisor, and facilitator of the Goddesses of Social Work supervision community. Join us as we travel through the social work journeys told by the Goddesses of Social Work community members, past and present, as they make their way toward clinical licensure. Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. In today's episode, Shanae Parham, LMSW, has graced us with her presence. Shanae Parham is a graduate of Troy University and a licensed master social worker. She works remotely and in the community as a supervised therapist in Georgia. Her purpose is to build and empower individuals by strengthening families and changing the negative mental images that individuals see through the use of counseling, writing, and the performing arts. Her current area of focus is around incorporating faith and spirituality into clinical practice and developing strategies to engage clients in the arts. Shanae currently resides in Georgia with her wonderful husband, Mr. Parham. Shanae is excited about her social work journey and is looking forward to exploring the plethora of opportunities within the field of social work. Welcome, Shanae. I'm super excited to have you on the show today. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Shanae, two things stand out when I read your bio. The first is your current research focus on incorporating faith and spirituality into clinical practice. Recently, within our social work community and within a therapist community that I'm a part of, TheraLeague, you presented some of your research on faith and spirituality in clinical practice. It was a well-received presentation. Can you tell us what stood out to you the most when putting the presentations together? Wow, what really stood out to me was, number one, the importance, important role that faith has in my life. And so, and it also has a role in the lives of my clients that I see. And so I wanted to bring down a barrier and let them know that, hey, we can use this in counseling. And there's so much research out there about the power of prayer and meditation um, on our thoughts and um, how we can recover from a traumatic event and experiences. And so for me, my faith is a banner to empower my clients in mental health. And so that is what stood out to me. Such a great answer. We so enjoyed your presentation. The second thing that stood out in your bio is your intention of incorporating the performing arts in your therapeutic practice. As you know, Shanae, my sister, Dr. Kendra Ray, is a licensed creative arts therapist and music therapist based in New York. And I've had the honor of collaborating with her often on creative projects within the therapeutic arena. Can you tell the audience why do you feel that incorporating the arts is important with our work with clients? We need the arts. We need the arts. In therapy, we are taught, and in our field of work, we are dealing with clients that have gone through traumatic experiences. Um, they're stressed out. They have anxiety. You name it. We have a whole DSM, a thick book of problems that our um, clients are facing. And the arts just give our clients an avenue to have fun, to loosen up, to help them to look at their situation in a different lens. So I enjoy the arts. It's fun. Um, it's another way that I use to connect with my clients. Um, 
our clients learn and receive information in different ways. And so if I can reach them or help them um, in their therapeutic goals through art or drawing or making um, a poster or dance, coming up with a dance routine, I want to go for it. I want to go for it. And plus, it's something that comes naturally to me. And I understand and recognize the power it has in my own life. And so, absolutely. If I can, if I can push art, I will continue to push art. Oh, yeah, yeah you're going to definitely keep pushing art. And I love one of the things that you just said, because it's one of my favorite. I don't know where I got it from. I feel like it's an old social work saying you can only take your client as far as you're willing to go, right? And I think that when I heard you say you use it in your own life, right? We can, when we're able to see the healing or restorative nature that a therapeutic modality has for ourselves, and then we can share that with our clients, I think that diminishes imposter syndrome, right? Because we know for certain that this particular modality works. And I can tell you it works because I use it for myself, right? Yes. I heard you say dance, but yet you work remotely. How are you How are you able to incorporate dance with your clients? Well, in a, a previous um, agency that I worked with, I worked with young children and um, we had an event there and I was able to put on a dance or teach the children their dance. And I've actually done that in um, my church life as well, working with the youth. So I haven't quite tapped into that yet with this agency, but I'm getting there because I have a couple of clients that's pulling that side out of me. But dance, absolutely. And I'm currently studying. There's a um, website that's good to know. It's called Udemy. Have you ever heard of Udemy? And well, it's um it's an edu if you want to get like continuing education or you just want to learn about a topic, they have a um course called spirit dancing. Um the art of spirit dance. It's it's something new and it's very um ancient and and, and it's about body movements and just connecting with inner self. And so um that's an awesome you to me, it's um U-D-E-M-Y. Dot com. It's a great platform if you want to learn to do anything, real estate, what you name it. And so that's what I'm learning. I'm educating myself in that. And um, so that I can use it. And again, another tool to use with my clients. So I actually have heard of you to me. I've just never said it out loud. Okay. <laughs> when you spelled it out, I was like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. And I love it. it's like YouTube. You can learn anything. Right. But you're actually getting continuing education units. And you're getting continuing education units and things that you are passionate about. I also love that you're saying that they're, they're teaching about the ancient mythology of, of dance. Like this thing isn't, you know, even though it might be, it might feel like it's new in the social work world. It's not. It's been around for centuries and centuries. Yes. And we're just now coming to realize that, hey, we can use this in our profession. I'm excited that you're going to be using it and can't wait to learn more about how you incorporate it. I think there is a way for you to do it remotely, but I know it's, you keep stretching yourself and stretching yourself and you're going to share how you did that soon. Yes. I am ready. I want you to tell us a little bit about your social work journey. How did you get here, Shanae? And where do you plan to go? Well, uh, my social work journey... <sighs> 
I'm glad that I'm here. It was just one, it was a journey. I went to um, University of Alabama in Birmingham. And my original intent was to go to school to be an optometrist. And that did not work out for me. I um, actually got into the program, was there about a year or so, and I got dismissed because of a class that I did not, I could not pass or you know, that's, it's a story in itself with all of that there. And so um, I, that was a very traumatic event for me because I grew up making all A's, graduating the top of my class in high school. And to get kicked out of a program for an academic issue was just complete, a complete letdown for me. So I got counseling and um, through an individual that I will have to talk more about. But um, her name was Dr. Angela Hill. And in that counseling, we were talking and, you know, she was helping me through biblical counseling. And she brought up, you know, you know, I want you to open yourself up, allow yourself to explore. And she said, you know, you, sh you should consider looking at counseling. And at the time, I'm thinking we didn't talk about counseling. I'm still trying to figure out how I can be a doctor, an optometrist, and I was looking at applying to other schools, and I listened, I'm like, a counselor, like, that just doesn't sit with me, you know, of course, not at the time, I was very broken, and so I got to a place, and I started, and, you know, I just got quiet before the Lord, I said, Lord, where do I need to be, because obviously, I'm not, I was not in my set place, because if I was, I would be there, I would be doing that, and, um, and so I said, well, I enjoy people and people tend to just come and talk to me. And, you know, I like to include people in. And um, and so I thought about I thought about that route and I wasn't thinking about what she said, but it was way maybe two or three years after my counseling with her. And um, I went the psychology route. I was thinking I've always been a lover of research. So I said, OK, I'll do psychology. And then that didn't was like, well, no. And I met a therapist I worked with at my first agency in the field. She was a social worker. And she said, you know, you should really think about social work because you get to counsel, you can research, and you're connected with the community. Because she just kind of saw my personality, the work I did with the children. I was doing activities and art and dancing with them. She said, you should consider social work. And since then, I remember having a meeting with you. <laughs> for Nita and um at that time and when I was looking at Troy and here I am now and it has been it has been a tough journey I mean I could go on and on another time for that journey but I'm thankful to be here and I'll, and I'll end with this I had a dentist that said years ago nobody rarely does their first thing like if you think about it most people always do their second thing or third thing nobody ever does the first so he was very encouraging and then he retired <laughs> I didn't have him that long but yeah that's how I got here that is how I got here and I definitely have some plans in this field um my plan um and I actually jotted a few things definitely I want to continue and get my full license my LCSW that's a part of the journey um but I also want to continue my education, not going back to school, but doing what I'm doing, like on my own personal learning and education, um, continuing education that route. Research, I want to find ways to connect with instructors or universities and do research and really add to 
our plethora of knowledge of how faith and spirituality, for example, empowers our clients and not tear them down. Or more research on how we can better strengthen our men and our families, you know. So research is a lot in that plan, as well as developing my community through social change and policy change. Those are some of my plans in my own clinical practice, which I'm, I've already made a decision. It's not going to be a traditional community or clinical practice. So that's still in progress in terms of how I want it to be. I've already started putting um, ideas together, but that's my plan. So definitely expanding where I'm at and growing in the field for sure, for sure. I love it. You're still a high achiever, Shanae, <laughs> which is great, right? I love, I love that. That is, that is, we need high achievers. I think all the social workers that I get be in community with um, are high achievers, and I and I love that. Can I go all the way back a little bit? Yeah. You know, um, those who are listening may not know or uh, hear, understand that that you are sister, right? <laughs> and one of the things that um, I'm enjoying conversing about is how did you know with the stigma that's in the African-American community to go to therapy to begin with? Because, you you know, it just felt like it was just automatic. Like I had this trauma, you know, I'm a high achiever. I had this trauma and then I went to counseling. I was like, wait, wait, wait whoa, that is not usually our first, we don't jump there usually within our community. So I'm curious, like, how did you even feel comfortable to go that route to begin with? Absolutely. Yes. No one in my family went to counseling. That was not a regular for me. Um, when I tell you I was at a very low point. Now, the church I went to had counseling. Had they not had counselors on site, I probably, I don't know what I would have done, actually. But um, that's part of my faith. It's been just my relationship with the Lord and giving me guidance and direction, like, hey, you need counseling. This is normally what happens. Even though it may not be a big thing or what you've been um, trained or brought up in, this is what you need to do next. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to counseling. And it was. And it was such a relief. And to be honest, had I not gone to counseling, I honestly could not tell you where I would be. Because you got to think I'm in a program and first generation in my family, number one, to graduate college. So let alone get in a medical program and it end like that. So I've invested money and finances. You know, I have a lot of younger ones looking up. It was a lot. It, it just wasn't. You know, it wasn't something that I could just kind of get up and, okay, go get a job and do something else. Not in that moment, not for me. So that was very traumatic for me. It really was. So, yeah, that's how I started counseling. And even then, I'm glad you asked that because even in thinking about that, that, that was probably a start on my journey to where I am. Something <laughs> that I think about it. I never counted that. Like, oh, okay, that doesn't count. But it counts. It does. So, yeah. You know, my favorite tagline is every social worker, every good social worker has a social worker. And, you know, that can encompass therapists, but it's just someone else to hold space for you. Right. And yeah. so I believe one coming into the field, if you've already been on the other side of the table, that's beneficial. But then once you're in the field, keeping someone that's on the other side of the table, I think is also beneficial. We, too, need someone to hold space for us as well. Right. Absolutely. 
You told us where you were. You told us where you want to go, but can I, can I get some of the juicy juice stuff in the middle? Like, you know, you, you, you said, oh, that's the story for another time. I want to hear a little bit about the, the journey because one yeah. of the reasons we're doing the podcast is I want social workers to know there's ups and downs in this field, right? And you, I, you alluded to there being a few ups and downs since you, once you graduated, got your license and, or maybe not immediately what were some of your ups and downs um within the fields thus far i would say mainly and i always joke with this with my colleagues you know most times it's never really the clients that we work with but oftentimes working in the, the agencies and the different um demands that we have or policies that <laughs> need to be updated so i would say that's the that's the biggest challenge um, personalities learning because social work is really um, it can be an individual sport in some ways but a lot of it is you're working with people you're working with other professions um, you're collaborating so there's a lot of different personalities and my natural personality bent is introverted uh, with some extrovert sprinkled in but you know naturally I like to curl up and get things done I'm a self-motivator and starter but, you know, that's getting outside of that element. And especially if you work with someone and they're not as passionate or, you know, the way they do things is different. So I would say that was the biggest challenge that really has. Now, in terms of cases, I've had some um, challenging cases where, you know, I have to be reminded of my own personal boundaries and how not to get so close to a client because I want to do so much and realizing that the client has to do most of, they have to really do everything actually. So getting out of, it's really nothing that we can do, but to empower and educate. And so um, that has been probably a challenge earlier on, but other than that, that's in a gist. Yeah. That would be some of the challenges in the middle. And that, those are challenges that I believe will always be there and students need to know that. But as you grow and develop, how you manage that will also change as well. That's what I'm kind of learning. Yeah, absolutely. How have you learned to navigate? Because <laughs> one, one of the things that I have learned about the social work profession, having been in it for about 24 years now, is, um, I, you know, social work is where the folks who may have had some traumas come to do, to do the work, right? Because they're like, I don't ever want anyone to experience what I experienced. And so, you know, we're working with hurt people and hurt people hurt people, but also healed people heal people. And so that's kind of what I heard you say, that some of your challenges have been working with professionals in this career, not just social workers, but other helping professionals um, who might be hurt people. How have you, and you know, you said that you're an introvert. And so what I'm hearing is you've had to learn how to kind of get, get a backbone a little bit, right? Okay. So how have you strengthened your backbone and or navigated those tougher waters dealing with 
some some people who may be still hurting in this profession? Well, first, I would like to say um, it's important to go into your agency or wherever you're going to be, knowing that everybody is not an enemy. <laughs> Number one, everybody's really not an enemy. There's a lot of great um, people in our field that care. It really is. But just being comfortable with conf confrontation, it's a time and place to confront. There's a book actually called Care for C-A-R-E, Frontation. So it's a way that you confront and it doesn't have to be dramatic. It doesn't have to be a fallout. And I've had to confront um, some jobs I've had to do. It, it wasn't necessarily social work related in my past. And so just kind of learning over the years how to be comfortable confronting and stating what I need or um you know, what I would like to happen so this can better flow, if that makes sense. So being comfortable with confrontation, I would have to say is key. I do. I completely yeah. agree with that. Yes, absolutely. Be comfortable with carefrontation, apparently. I'm going to have to, you're giving the audience and me some really great resources. You to me, carefrontation, the book. We're going to keep it going though. Okay. <laughs> Love these resources. Shanae, who would you who would you say was your most impactful mentor and or social work instructor? Oh wow. Um, well, I've already mentioned two people already as we've been talking. Um, the lady that counseled me uh, when I went through the events um, after my program, optometry program, and then the lady that introduced me to the field of social work. But in terms of instructors, other than yourself, you know, other than yourself, and that is the truth, I would have to say um, I had a lot of, my my experience in graduate school was, I had a positive experience at Troy. Um, I had instruct, I can't just really name one. Dr. Duffy um, was a good one. Miss um, Kelly, Dr. Richard Daly was another good instructor. She just really, um, saturated my palate within in terms of research, Dr. Richard, Richard Daly. So I can't really just pick one. Um, but I would have to say with Dr. Duffy in terms of the way she taught and looking at material and not being so intimidated by the DSM. Because you have to realize in our profession, you really, I mean, once you're trained, you, you come out as a clinician. So being able to make decisions and especially in Georgia, like in Georgia, I do therapeutic impressions and I'm not fully licensed yet. I know Alabama, their, um, their laws have changed. But, you know, so you come out, you know, when you're in, depending on the job, you can take a DSM and give a diagnosis. Now, of course, you have a licensed individual that um, signs off on that. So not being intimidated by that because, you know, before you got to think and sometimes my personality event is always, OK, I got to work. I got to do this and going to be a doctor. OK, it's four years and four more years. Well, as a social worker, you're it. Two years, you get out there and do it. <laughs> and so not being intimidated by that. And I think she was really good at that it, um, in terms of preparing us for our exams. A lot of our instructors were giving us real life experiences of how the field is and not being afraid to make those decisions. Whereas other professions, it takes them eight years before they make those decisions. I mean, four years of medical school and then four years of a residency, you know, that's a long time where we get two years and then two more really of um, 
our supervision and we're doing it sometimes well before those four years. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Shout out to Dr. Duffy. Was it a psychopathology she taught? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I want to go back. I'm glad you brought up Dr. R. She's actually been on the podcast. I think she's episode 11, but when you were speaking of what your plans in social work are, I, you know, here you are giving us resources. I want to give you one too. Reach out to Dr. R because she's a great connection to, to perhaps, you know, continue your research journey. She's always um, connecting people. If it's not her, she'll be able to connect you with, we're social workers, this is what we do. We connect each other with resources. So yeah. good. Um, Shanae, who, if, you know, knowing what you know now about the social work profession, what is something, I love that you said confrontation. I'm going to go ahead and pack one thing in your bag for you, right? You know, so what would you take on your social work journey? I'm packing maybe in the knapsack of your bag uh, confrontation. We're definitely going to take that with you. But what are something, what are three other things you might consider taking with you? Um, organization, for mm. sure. Being organized. There is a lot that we do as social workers and we need to be organized with our time, with what we're going to do. And sometimes if we're not going to do something, that's that's okay. That self-care and that break to not do, but be organized with it and be flexible because it's constant change. So organization and flexibility, I'm kind of putting that together. Um, empathy, we need, we need empathy for ourselves, our colleagues, and then um, our clients for sure, for sure. But last and certainly not least, curiosity, being curious. I mean, um, you know, in our field, we sometimes we can overemphasize the work part of social work. Be, be curious about, hey, what, what would happen if I changed up my client's intervention? Or what would happen if, you know, my community had this in it? You know, would it improve this? So being willing to get outside of our everyday routine and organization and be curious enough to change some things. So I would definitely add curiosity in there. Yeah. That is such a great answer. I love that. And I think curiosity, because I, I tell people to stay curious. I think when you're able to stay curious, it makes social work fun, right? Because then it's almost like playing a game. What if, I love that you said that, I change the therapeutic approach that I'm having with my client. What would be the outcome of that? What if, what would it be like if this resource was within my community? How could I get that into the community, you know? And it keeps us fresh and it keeps us having fun within the profession and impactful and impactful. Yeah, I love that answer. Great answer, Shanae. What are three things that you would leave behind? Are there any ideas, beliefs, situations you would leave behind within so short? I would leave um, negativity unnecessary stress or doing unnecessary work because it's, it's really easy to do a lot of unnecessary work um, when it comes to our clients or day-to-day but also complacency not being set in um, I, I know I have an idea in my mind that oh I'm gonna just stay here so many years this agency but being willing it's okay to change it's okay to do something else it doesn't mean that I'm not um supportive of my clients or the profession, but I'm just allowing myself to grow and not be complacent so that I can be the best me for the people that I'm serving. So 
that would be the three that I would get rid of. Complacency, negativity, and unnecessary stress and work. I love that. I love that you said it's okay to leave the place that you're at. I think sometimes, you know, I see a lot of social workers are like, oh, I can't leave my clients, but we would want them to leave us, right? We want, we want to work ourselves kind of out of a job. And then the second thing too, I think is sometimes we get into these jobs, especially when we just graduated or it's our second, you maybe even our third job in social work. And I often think that we are blocking the blessing of a social worker who just graduated, who might need an entry level position. And now you have higher skill sets where you could be used elsewhere, but because you, I love that word complacent or being complacent, um, you're blo- you're blocking both the social worker who's coming behind you and yourself. Yeah. I agree. I never right. thought about it that way, but that's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Mm-hmm. I often um, tell you guys, the more you, you all excel, the more I get to excel, you know, it's like you get on this hill, you get on the hill that I'm on. That means I have to move to a higher hill. Right. And so mm-hmm. the more we advance the profession, I think the better it is for all of us. Right. Shanae, we're getting to the last question. I so enjoyed our talk. This is so good. Thank you so much for coming on. And I'm going to make it, a, you know, our question just a little bit personal. Like the final thing I noticed in your bio, and because I do know you personally, I know that you are recently married, right? And we've right. talked a little bit about the demands of the social work profession. How have you as a newlywed been able to balance both being a newlywed and the demands of your social work career effectively? Wow, I have, um, and it definitely plays a role. It plays a role in work, being married. I'm so thankful to be married. It is a blessing to have that companionship, but boundaries is important because, you know, I could see a client and I just want to share, you know, even if that is not, you know, PHI that I'm sharing. I just want to talk about it. Or be, so setting up boundaries and remind myself my husband's not my counselor. That's important. Um, but also being willing to um, say no sometimes to work. Because the way I work, I work contracts so it can be very continuous. So sometimes I have to shut it off at night and we watch TV and we eat dinner and being okay with that and being comfortable with that. So having a family is definitely possible and is doable and it's great to have the support. But um, because I've heard stories of where, um, you know, people did put boundaries in place and it has affected marriages. It has. So I've kind of learned from some of those things as well as um, I know um, self-care had been a big thing we've talked about. But two of my um, matter of fact, one of the ladies that wrote a letter for me for grad school, she passed away. She was in the field, worked heavily in the field. And another one of my um, directors at one of the agencies I worked in also passed away. And so boundaries, um, and I don't know their boundaries, but I'm just saying in anything in a relationship, a relationship can be harmed or damaged if we don't set healthy boundaries. And um for work as well as for the marriage because there's a time where he may want to interact and and play and I have to say no I gotta work you know so I mean I would have to say boundaries I would have to say boundaries is key there yeah I'm so glad you brought up boundaries Uh, there was another incident that you or instance that you were talking and I was like oh boundaries are important 
So I'm so glad, not just within those who, um, who are in relationships, but social workers, period. Um, we were talking yesterday, uh, I was talking to a group of social workers yesterday, and maybe four or five of them said, oh, I just have a big heart. And the last thing I left them, have a big heart, but have bigger boundaries, right? <laughs> and so, yes. I like that. <laughs> Have a big heart because I know most of us have come into this profession and we probably all do have big hearts, um, but you got to have big boundaries as well. And that's like you said, both personally and professionally. And I I just want to add to it's again, you can be married and have a family and do social work. You don't have to be working, you know, these exorbitant hours and you can't have a life. You know, you can definitely have a life. And you can structure your time. That goes back to that organization that we need with us. If you organize it and plan, you can live the life you want as a social worker. It doesn't have to just be this. Sometimes the images we have, the negative images of our profession, we have to tear that down because that's it's not the case at all. You can travel like yourself, Renita. You travel and and it's some um some of my um um co colleagues they do travel social work. I mean, there's so many things you can do. And you don't have to be limited and tied down, but you can still have, like, it doesn't have to be a one or, or the other. Like, okay, if I'm going to be married, I can't be a social worker. I can't travel or I can't have a relationship. No, you can have it. You can still have it. So I just want to end with that because I think that's important. Yeah, it's absolutely important. And I think, you know, one of the main reasons I wanted to do this podcast and we'll keep doing it as long as, you know, I, um, I'm having fun with it is I wanted to tear down the narratives that social workers or people who are thinking about coming into the profession are may have about the profession that we we are having fun. <laughs> we are married. We are buying houses. We are making money. It's not um, what we've seen on TV and or even what we've been told in school. There are many, many, many of us who are living full lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. Janae, it was such a pleasure. It was such a pleasure. I, you know, I'm asking folks to come back um, in the new year, hopefully also maybe even for social work month. So I hope that you'll say yes then. And maybe by then you will have choreographed uh, some dance routines for some of your uh, remote clients. That would be so much fun. <laughs> Absolutely. I look forward to sharing. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. We are glad you were here. If you liked this episode, please come back to hear more stories of the journeys through social work and please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. See you next time here on the Goddesses of Social Work podcast.